and welcome to the Glacier Musical Podcast. It's beer, metal, and swearing. Fuck it all. This is Nick Cameron, joined by the man, the myth, the legend. He's got uh, the stubbornness of a goat, the heart of a lion, and the breath of a dragon. Chimera Chakas. All of that is true. No lies detected. Uh, my first beer of the evening is a Bell's Brewing Scotch Ale Christmas Ale. Ooh. It is a wee heavy Scotch Ale, 7.5% ABV, and quite possibly the best winter ale you are going to come across this season. That is fucking awesome to know. I have found a new brewery that I like here that sells beer. Um, I think it's local. I uh, could be wrong. Let's see. Where are they from? Oh my god, fucking delicious. Is it now? Oh, my bad. Um Oscar Blues Brewery. Don't know. Oh, if they're you're uh, Colorado. Colorado, Austin, Texas, Brevard, North Carolina. No idea where the fuck that is. Their uh old Chubb Scotch Ale is gorgeousness and gorgeosity. That's the so kind they, of stuff that would make Alexander DeLarge not go out on the town. They, so they do uh, ales. I have not had that one. I don't know what color that can is. Green. That's the green one? Okay. I'll look it up. What I have found is the Oscar Blues Dale's Pale Ale. Oh, I was, I was going to say that one is a, oh, and that's a good size can of it. That's about There's, a 7%er, so you got to be careful that is, with that stuff. Well, it's been a fucking a hundred percent kind of day, so you look. Know what? I'm drinking a seven point five. I'm drinking a seven point five ABV Scotch ale, and yeah. I've got a nine percent uh, IPA. Um, you know, at, at the ready as well. The only thing I've had that's alcoholic this whole week is Nyquil. So, like, seriously, Nyquil. So, like, I'm yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm running on Dayquil in spite. My kid got sick, which uh, made my wife sick. Which made me sick. So, uh, yeah, awesome. Fantastic. But um, let me also say uh, one big shout out to my kid who does not listen to this for obvious reasons, mostly because she thinks I'm a tool. But, you know, besides the point, uh, my kid was the most wonderful and amazing human being today. I got home. I was in pain. I was sick. And she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm just really tired. Kid looks at me and says, Dad, go upstairs and rest. And I'm just like, is, wow. You made a good kid. She uh, she cooked shells and cheese for her and her mom so they could eat. I ate some soup for dinner. And uh, also, this past Sunday was uh, 12 years married for my wife and I. So Congrats. I'm still shocked that she has not kicked me out of the house yet. Can tol- I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be... I'd probably congratulate her if she did it, but I'm gonna keep. I'm going to keep the lie alive. In the words of my immortal parents, we would have got divorced long ago, but we were too poor. Oh, no. She can afford it now. Indeed. She got a big promotion. She can afford it. So, uh, so this we have uh, big stuff. Uh, beer check-in. Talked about being sick. What's next? Oh, yeah. Vinyl check-in. Where are you at? Where am I at? What vinyl do I have? I... I don't know where we are in the calendar. I saw, yes, I saw Mastodon and Opeth last Thursday after we recorded the last episode. And 
and I was hoping because they were sort of not playing much off of it, but they've been, you know, it's like the anniversary of Blackwater Park for Opeth in 2021. I had already gotten the Mastodon pre-order delivered. And I was thinking like, oh, Opeth will have vinyls and I'll get an awesome Blackwater Park sellable vinyl because I don't have it. They hadn't, they were sold out of them. They had them, they sold out of them. They had everything else. I have everything else mostly that I want with them. So I was like, nah. And then I was like, let me go and support Zeal and Order and buy one of their vinyls, even though I have, you know, I like, I like love Zeal and Order, new records coming soon. I come home, I put it on, double LP, 180 gram, remaster of uh, Stranger Fruit, their second album. And then I put it on and it's like, whoa, whoa. So I don't know if it was like cut to the wrong speed. Wait, it's did an, you pull a Taylor Swift? They pulled a Taylor Swift. I didn't do anything. Okay. I just pressed play, put drop the needle and turned it on. And it was like the wrong fucking speed. I, I don't know if I have an error. Did you put I, it on 45 to see if it, it's better? It's not better. It's okay. worse. So it's oh. fucked up. So you, you, you know what I'm talking about. No, was, was it a Dell? Was it a Dell or Taylor it's, Swift? It's Taylor Swift's new okay. record. The re-recording of her, one of her old records that it's like was burned at the wrong speed a no. million times. They just didn't, oh, the they people didn't who bought it just didn't know it was at 45. So there are like thousands upon thousands of reviews of this record. Yes. It's like, what the fuck is this? Saying it sounds terrible. They, they think it's, they're listening to a Sun record except with vocals. Um... So I so I got the Zealand order. It's kind of a bust, I think. Um, in the mail, I have received. I mentioned last week I got my ghost. Did come my ghost mm. uh, re-release of their debut. I finally got my Amigo the Devil order of Born Against, my most played record of 2021. Probably my favorite record of 2021. That's not metal. Um, by a by a long shot. And did I get anything else in the mail? Trying to think. I don't think so. I mentioned it in the last one. So that's the check-in. Pretty cool. How about you? Well, I am happy to say that my wife allowed me to purchase the uh, copy of King Diamond, the Puppet Master, I ran into. Nice. So I have, and it was, it's a uh, 2014 European pressing. How in the hell? There's a record store in St. Louis. So when you're here, I will take you there. Cool. This, this place is amazing. I don't know what kind of witchcraft or soul selling or demonic possession they're doing, but they have all of these European pressings of shit. So, like that copy of Faith in the More I had was a music on vinyl 2013 European pressing. This is a 2014 King Diamond European pressing that they had new That's crazy. in 2021. So I got that. Uh, I did order a copy of the new Casey Musgraves Christmas record because it is Christmas she, time. She is very talented. We saw her in concert in 2019, I might add. And totally worth it if you get the opportunity. She, um, we, we first heard her on this Ameri on Prairie Home Companion. In Prairie Home Companion, she was playing songs off same trailer, different park, her official debut record, not including the stuff she did when she was a kid. And we, we've kind of just been in love with her ever since. I have her newest album as well. We got that. And uh, got a couple records that are uh, waiting for me in England. To, uh, in my secret location that is uh, my bouncing 
my 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 northern UK uh, bounce house. I have a copy of OU812 by Van Halen, and not to be outdone, I've got another copy of A Little Ain't Enough by David Lee Roth. So uh, I'm gonna recommend to anybody if you've got a friend in England and you like records, here's a way you can save some ducats. Bounce those to your buddy's house. But uh, and I also. Uh, the Mega Ran album that I pre-ordered back in February is supposedly shipping, but I haven't gotten my notice yet. So, and I think that nice. is my vinyl check-in for the week. It's a good check-in. Anything? Any other minutia? We not that any of this is minutia, but any other minutia we need to cover? Uh, I am sick. I'm running on Dayquil in spite that I say that. So mm. I'm gonna try to mute myself before I blow my honker. My yeah, my, yeah. my nose blowing is exceptionally loud. I was going to put this off till tomorrow until uh listen to a podcast today, a very famous podcast, so I'm not going to mention their name. But you should know them, if you take my meaning. And one of the co-hosts was sick, and uh, the other co-host said, good on you for doing it. Lesser podcast hosts would have called it off. So I, I felt called out, so here I am. I recorded my weekly news show yesterday. I've been doing them early, even though it's not advantageous, just in terms of my producer schedule with work and everything. Um, for December, we're just doing shorter shows anyway, so I just cut them earlier in the week. It gives him more, you know, a better schedule to do them. And I didn't look or feel good. I look like trash. I feel like trash. My mood is terrible. My morale is very low. My my fever is high. My morale is low. And I pushed myself to do the video, and I was exhausted, but I was. Glad that I did. So we're going to power through. We're gonna, well, I we're went gonna... to a hockey game last night. And if I'm being honest, the only reason I went for one major reason, because it was my wife's favorite player's bobblehead night. That is a really good reason to go. What is the favorite player? And now we need, they don't have to show me the bobblehead, but now I almost feel like you need to post No, the it. bobblehead's at work. All right. That, that's well, a, it's it's a Ryan O'Reilly, who is the current captain of the Bruce. All right, then. So, and right. apparently the kid did not take one. We get to the seats and I'm like, where's your bobblehead? And she's like, I didn't take one. I didn't make one. I don't like bobbleheads except Funko Pops. I like this kid so much and I don't normally like kids at all. So that's really great. Um, I can stand kids and I love this kid. I mean, this kid's a good well, kid. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, if you didn't, if I had known you didn't want one, I would have said, please grab one. I'll give it to Jimmers at work. But, oh, and actually my new shave. This is personal. I don't usually get too personal for reasons. But this past weekend was my uh, my work's Christmas party. And so a lot of people at work, and the thing about me at work is I'm happiest at work when I can be me, which is a little bit nutty and a little bit ridiculous. And there was actually a belief as to whether or not I was actually married. Uh, perhaps that I had made up my wife. People are mean. And they were just, they say they're just teasing me, but they're evil. And... So we sit down and I'm talking with one of my, my good friends from work. <coughs> the one thing he has to ask my wife is he looks at her and he goes, all right, I got one question to ask you. Does he really have as much vinyl as he says he does? And she looks at him and goes, yeah, yeah, he does. He has two giant cases and he's about to fill them and he's going to need a third case. And I don't know where it's going to go. And all I can do at that time is just pat her on the hand and say, don't worry. 
I'll figure it out. Mm. You don't have to worry about where I'm going to put my records. I'll take care right. of them. The China is not going to be an issue. This this vinyl coming. Uh, I just realized I'm wearing my Opeth hat from the Opeth show. So, I'm wearing anyway, my Dungeons and Dragons sweatshirt. That is amazing. Which, for no some one, reason, has no also Dungeons and Dragons written in Japanese. Would you like Japanese or Japanophile? Well, I also have a Dungeons and Dragons game that's imported from Japan that has Dungeons and Dragons written in Japanese, made do by you Capcom. Like, do you like the band Gygax, named for Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons? You don't have to. Sh- you're gonna, he's gonna pull out the vinyl. Oh my god, this guy. I love this guy so much. It hurts. He's not going to hear this until he hears the playback. Here's the vinyl. The Gygax. Out now on Creator Destructor Vinyl. Gygax. This, this Gygax? Yes, that guy. This Gygax, actually, uh, this record, it's a great record. It's very Thin Lizzy-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are phenomenal. This is, this, is, this is actually a great album to point out. It's missing a color. Is it? Yep. I mean, There's no cool red thing. in the splatter. Was there supposed to be? There's supposed to be red in the splatter. Oh, I like the splatter. I like that. Like, It's a good splatter, but it looked better with the red in the mock-ups. And I that's why you need to remember, everybody out there listening to this, who is going to get into buying records in cool colored records, they don't always look like they're supposed to. They don't always look like they're supposed to. But anywho, we can go back and forth about... Excuse me, all these little bits all day, but or we can get moving. Let's get moving, buddy. What's uh what's this week? This is Python episode three. And you know And now for something completely the same. And now for something the same as the last two weeks. Um, Except better. A very high level of excellence. Um The album of the soundtrack of the trailer, of the film, of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Holy Grail is, are, you know, there are people that this is like the pinnacle for them. It's usually one of three. The very early stuff, this, or Life of Brian. Those are the three most people, the average fan will be like, that's the one I know, or that's the one I know well, or that's the one I heard, and, I, and that's like, that's it for me. So... This is this is going to be pretty fun, and uh, we're going back in time on. here. And it's it's. I know we pointed this out. I think on the first episode of the series that we're talking about a time when there was no such thing as home video. There was no such. Okay. I mean, the idea of it, like trying to explain to my kid what it was like ten years ago when we couldn't stream everything when YouTube was about watching a music video or some dude doing a commentary, filming himself with his digital camera while he was watching a blues game. So, and that was the best you could get from the Brett Hall's Jersey retirement ceremony. Trying, I mean, trying to explain that world to somebody. I can't even imagine what it would be like to try to explain this world that you go to the movie theater and not only can you not buy that movie and or stream that movie at home in 30 to 45 days. There is nothing on the horizon, technologically speaking, that will allow you to enjoy that movie at home. And that's what we're looking at right now. That is the first part of this, this episode is it, they, 
calling it a soundtrack is probably a misnomer, but it's a great title. And it was a great way to make money off of what they did. And like we did with the 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 other Monty Python, you know, I don't think we're going to go over every little bit, but it's they this is the only one of because they did soundtracks for all three of their movies. Uh, I don't believe we're going to get to Meaning of Life. I think I don't think no, we're not going to get to Meaning of Life. The next week will be the last part of this series and we can skip Meaning of Life because it's actually not that 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 soundtrack is pointless anyway. But I believe this is the only one where they recorded significant other material in true Monty Python fashion. Can you still hear me? I hear you just fine. Okay, I muted myself after I um I muted myself because shit was going awry. I apologize to anyone listening for the thuds and the thumps. My light went out, the battery died. The podcast mic fell over all on audio, and then I was like, oh, you know, it's a good idea to mute this shit while I'm not talking. Um, Yes, 100% yes on all those things. I know that it's hard for people to put their mind into the past and understand that there was a time where all this media was not available on every fucking device 24-7, Yeah, I mean, right now, we can watch the movie on the bus. I have un, I have unlimited data on my iPhone. With no, I, I mean, I, I can watch this anywhere at any given time with my Bluetooth headphones and not even disturb anybody. Get like that crazy thing with the hat, where so nobody can even see it. <clears throat> but the idea of that, yeah, it's it's anyway. So uh, I'm gonna bust in on this a little bit. The way. The thing that makes this particular soundtrack so much better than the other two they do is they recorded only about two-thirds of this album is actually scenes from the movie. Anybody who's listened to the final ripoff has de- or instant Monty Python collect- record collection, not the box set, but the single LP or CD, has definitely heard bits and bobs from this. But they also... Rec- so it starts off with the introduction to the executive version. Now, executive version is a nomenclature probably not known by many Americans. Basically, it's a way of saying the limited edition, the more expensive version, which this joke is so far ahead of its time. Right now, you have people basically chopping their own dicks off in order to get anything limited edition because it's going to be so valuable and so this and so that. And it's not, but whatever. And the whole time they're making this joke and they're, they're, they're popping back in and out. Then, so the, the idea of this soundtrack, it, it's <laughs> the idea is it's a live viewing or a live report of watching the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail at a theater. And they've got this whole team of reporters and and cameramen to film this and record this. So then you get the tour of the classic Silbury Hill Theater, which explains how it became a theater because it wasn't always a theater. It was like a warehouse or something. And I mean, the whole thing is just geniusly insane. It is, it's, it's hysterical and wrong. Then 
it switches to the live broadcast of the film where people are dying at the original premiere and it's very wrong and awful. Uh, then it goes into the bathroom where a gentleman is uh, narrating the film from the turlet because the turlet is always funny. And then it switches finally into the show where John Cleese, as a reporter, is telling you what's happening in the movie while talking over the movie on an album of the movie. It's so meta and so ridiculous that I, I can't even imagine how you sit down and create that. But they did it, and then they did it. Thoughts? Thoughts. These guys are so, like you said, far ahead of anything comedically that you could imagine. This shit is really funny. Um, it's very <clears throat> sardonic is the word that comes to mind. It's just mm -hmm. like a lot of brilliant comedy smarts in this again. And yeah, like you can't, you know, meta before meta was a meta thing. Right. It's, it's, it's double, it's, it's pre-double meta. Magna cum meta. Oh, Sunni magna cum meta. Indeed. Uh, I got nothing. Um, and then it goes to, you know, the castle, uh, or the arrival at the castle with the coconuts and all that business. Bring out your dead. Constitutional peasants, which constitutional peasants is one of the greatest sketches. The thing about Monty Python is Americans really could listen to this, all of this work that they have done and really learn about the fucking government and how things work and what things are. And, it, and she says, I thought we are an anarcho-syndicalist commune. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. I mean, it's that that sketch is abs. I mean, a scene, I guess. Uh, the witch burning, and then the, the witch, the, the burning of the witch is oh, predicated on the idea of using logic. But it's as the legit, then it goes into the logician who explains how the logic they're using is a logical fallacy. Unfortunately, many Americans now use the logical fallacy reasoning to explain everything. Whereas the logician explains, not no positive statements can be 100%. All fish are swim in water, so anything underwater are fish. No. And that's the whole logical fallacy, which is based on this. Uh, and then it goes on to a bit of off-color jokes that I'm not going to mention. But as he then says, fuck supper. Logic is good, but sex is fun. Um, you gotta listen to it to get there. Then the Camelot song, which... The Camelot song, basically, I think, is the entire impetus of Spamalot. And if you've never seen Spamalot, you totally should. Spamalot is one of the two places I have seen one of the members of Monty Python. I have seen two members of Monty Python live in my life. Eric Idle came out at the Muni to announce the showing of Spamalot when it played at the Muni, our outdoor theater. And I saw John Cleese um, for our bronze anniversary, which I believe was nine don't quote me, my wife got us tickets to go see Monty Python and the Holy Grail at the Stiefel Theater, where we'll be seeing Nick Mason in just a couple months. And then after the show, Cleese comes out and does uh, a Q&A. But the Q&A, I mean, it wasn't like the audience. They submitted questions. And 
however you want to look at it. That is amazing. Um, so good, so good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty flawless side one. Um, you know, we're not quite totally at the end. I do love, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Quest for the Holy Grail is great. Live from the parking lot is hilarious. Um, French Taunter and Bomb Scare. Live from the parking lot. I'm sorry, yes, that live is... from the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, just because they can, because it was funny. No other reason, just very, very funny. I'm sorry, I'm I'm holding in because I'm thinking about live from the parking lot, and I mean it's just. I I don't think most Monty Python fans have actually heard this. I think this is something that kind of got forgotten in in America anyway. Because I don't none of my friends who like Monty Python, and it's not all of my friends, unfortunately, because some of my friends are stupid. Um, but. You know, I, I've never heard anybody mention this. I have a copy of this on vinyl because, of course, I do. I'm such a tool. Um, Was that the Record Store Day version from no. 2020? Oh, hell no. What, really? No. Yeah, there's a picture disc version of this now. Uh, I don't buy picture discs. No, I have a nineteen. I have a 1970s OG pressing. Nice work. All my, all my Python are. All right, then. But yeah, Then we um, go into the final... Uh, sketch of the side one which is bomb scare and I don't know if that's what it would have been like back then but that's totally what it's like back now what it would have been like now uh, basically the the manager of the theater comes on and announces that there's a bomb scare and everybody needs to evacuate but while you're evacuating avail yourself of the facilities go to the restroom hit up the lobby maybe get some sweets you know just check out anything you need to purchase on the way out and right before the 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 needle drop, the needle pops, you hear a bomb because, of course, you do. And it's the reason why I say that's what it would be like now is I actually worked at the Great Train Store, which uh, worked, which started in St. Louis in Union Station, worked its way up to be a pretty pretty significant model train chain around the country in like tourist trap malls, and I had to work through a bomb scare. Hmm. So the manager comes up and goes. Don't tell any customers, but we got a bomb threat. Can I leave? No. Uh, very similar to uh, the bomb threat called into Times Square while Overkill was supposed to play at BB King's, the now defunct BB King's Times Square nightclub. Yeah, it was um, totally. I totally earned that five twenty-five an hour that day. You did. Millennials listening to this, if there are any. Bomb scare is a sketch as, is to the meme from the height of the pandemic lock-in last year, where it was like, here's what the end of the world will look like. And it's like meteors showering the earth, exploding in fire. And then you just see like an army of hands holding up cell phones. Bomb scare. In words and comedy. It's, it's, it's also like the dog. The dog on fire. This is fine. Everything is fine. Yes, everything is fine. Which it's not, but... No, everything, um, is, everything is on fire. Yes. Probably one of my favorite... Maybe my favorite thing about the... Like, as funny as the introduction to the executive version is, this is side two and the executive version and national <laughs> apology that opens up side two. Like, 
brings back the joke in a refreshing new way. Uh, this is side two is great because again, it's a continuation of their puns on the again, of vinyl. You, these were all made to be played on vinyl. That was how. So they have practical jokes on these on these albums on the listeners. Yeah, on the listeners. Like you know, there were skips. There were uh, last week during matching tie and handkerchief. It's a triple sided record on two sides. And depending where you drop the needle, you get different sketches. And there's no track listing, so I mean, it, it messes with you. Like it's it's a meta messing with you. So on this one, you flip it over and <clears throat> you get a man. You get Michael Palin screaming at you. This is side two. If you want side one, flip it over. And then you get Graham Chapman, with a very smooth. Would like to apologize to all of those of you who purchased the executive version of this record. That brusque tone was meant for the cheaper version. We apologize. And now on to side two. And it's, it's just... I, I don't... I wish I had a mind that could think of these jokes. Because I don't. And I... Sorry. Uh, I couldn't have done it better myself. I was going to try the same thing. You did it very well. So then they go into the story so far, which is another new sketch, which is them telling, uh, it goes on the classic Monty Python uh, trope convention of making fun of Nazis. This one is trying, it tells a story about a movie that is not Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but it's about somebody trying to steal a solid gold B-Day or bidet from uh, uh, Ava Braun and Hitler. I don't know where you come up with that one, but they they found it. So I guess bidets were like really popular in England back then. I have a bidet. I didn't know if you knew that. I don't know that, but I'm thinking about getting a bidet because I feel like uh, shooting cold water on my butthole when it's uh, about 15 degrees in my bathroom seems like a really good plan. Super good idea. Uh, one of the things about St. Louis is our houses are really old and drafty. So for the past three nights while I've been sick, when I have to go to the bathroom, I end up shivering so hard because my wife does not agree with me about climate control in the house. So we've been fighting about that. We've been fighting that battle for every since every day we've been together. But Yikes. yeah, it is what it is. But uh, so moving on, we then get into Brave Sir Robin, which is... Brave Sir Robin and the Knights Who Say Knee, which are both directly from the show. Then we get into a bit of a problematic sketch called Marilyn Monroe. No, starts, no, no starts off on the really knife. starts off really funny. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. No dwelling on the Knights Who Say Knee is one of the greatest sketches in the show's history. Maybe. Oh, I wasn't really going to dwell too much on. I mean, it's so beloved and so good and it, so it, hilarious. It is. I wasn't going to. King Arthur much... and. And the Knights Who Say Nay. I wasn't going to put too much emphasis on the skits that were in the movie. The show, right? Oh, the movie, yeah. Okay. Very but, fair, I mean, there is nothing... I mean, the Knights Who Say Nee is only surpassed by the Knights Who Say Eki, 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 Patank, Patank, Zoot Boing, Zounds. Obviously. Indeed. I know I know the Marilyn sketches. Uh, it starts off great, and then it wacky. takes a turn. It's a very bad turn. Uh, so we'll we'll just move past that. Moving along. Uh, goes to Swamp Castle, which we all know. 
Tim the Enchanter drama critique, which I don't remember. Uh, uh, I don't remember to it today. that. One. It's nondescript. I listened to it today too, and I don't remember it. I mean, I, li- I listened to that when I got home. That was the first record I put on the turntable today. Uh, then we go to Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch, which is just an absolute gem of a scene in a gem of a movie. So mm. it's probably my favorite scene. Then we get back to more executive version, the French taunter, and then the last word, which is basically Terry Terry Jones saying, well, if that's really all there is. The rest is visual. And then you hear him walking out of the room. And then it's over. Mm. Just, I mean, and it's it's an absolute great record. To It's, it's a great companion piece to a great film. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, back then it obviously wasn't a companion piece. It was the only piece, but... Right. (sighs) Yeah, pretty great. Pretty great. Um, Do we want to talk a little bit about the music at all or no? Uh, If you've got something to say, you go ahead. I mean... uh, So, yeah, one of their... um, Well, I just think it merits merits a, a mention that Neil Innes, who was, you know, a frequent collaborator of theirs did a lot of the original music that's in the film and the album. We'll we'll be talking more about him in about five minutes. In about five minutes. But uh, yeah, I do want to point out uh, Fanfare, Camelot song, Sunrise music, Sir Robin song, which is Eric and Neil. That was Um, Neil? Did he play the minstrel? I think he played the minstrel. I didn't know that. And I want to say Starlet in the Starlight by K. Essex for some reason. Uh, stick with me. I hum them. They come to me in visions and fever dreams. Oh, can I say real quick, um, before we get off of Holy Grail, having seen John Cleese discussing uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, it's his least favorite movie they did. It's his least favorite thing they did. He says it's completely overrated. He is my least favorite Python now. Anyway. Like... He's still my favorite Python, but I'm... You know what? Let's just not get into that because now they're old and confused. I guess. Um, That's what I choose to believe because it makes me feel better. There you go. Um, yeah. Nice. Little White Lies. Uh... White Lies. Vision Dreams of Passion. Yeah. That is, did you know, fun fact, the bass player on White Lines is Doug Wimbish of Living Color. Really? Yep. He was a session guy in that time. I only know that song because of Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. Um, Yeah, it's pretty great. I learned so much from that movie. Like, English people still listen to records. That was when I learned that. Do you, that might be the reason records made a comeback. That rec, that movie is so good and so indelible that maybe it put it in people's mind that vinyl should come back. Um, that was the first pressing. Sorry. Then they're going through the records to choose which ones to throw at zombies. Batman begins. Toss it. Toss it. What about that one? It's Liz's. Throw it. That was the second album I ever bought. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no, moving good on. Stuff. Good stuff. 
So now we're getting to the point where this episode was either was always going to be one live album and the Monty Python soundtrack album. And I originally asked Keefy which one he wanted to do. Before he could answer, I overruled it and went with, let's go with the fucking American one. Because they released basically identical live albums in 74 and 76, which were uh, live at Drury Lane in, in England, which was not released in America, and live at City Center, which was not released in UK, because they were about 85% the same skits. So they didn't do that. However, this, the live sketches you have heard on compilations like Ultimate Ripoff came from Drury Lane, not City Center. And here's why. The City Center run, it was a run of shows, much like the O2 run they did in 2014. It was a run of shows on Broadway in New York City at a place called, obviously, City Center. And they decided they were going to record it and get it out as quickly as possible. So they recorded it in April. And this is going to show you how different the times were then compared to now. They recorded this in early April. And it was on the shelves in record stores on vinyl on May 3rd. That's how quickly they could record it and get it pressed. Unfortunately, and here's why... None of the live versions you have heard came off of this album. Uh, it was very early in the run, as mentioned, and the microphones didn't work properly. So you get a lot of distortion, you get a lot of people cutting out, and quite frankly, it sounds like a turd. It is not It is not a quality release, and I don't recommend purchasing this one. If, you're gonna, if you want a Monty Python live album, get live at Drury Lane, not this one. However, still completely worth talking about. Okay, fair enough. I like that explanation. Um, yeah, no, no complaints. Uh, in addition to the full fleet of pythons, they were joined. You're opening another beer, same beer or different beer? Different beer. This is the Voodoo Ranger Imperial. Good one. Um, Carol Cleveland. Who is an American. Is an American. Sort of. We won't hold it against her. And Neil Innes in person. On stage. Playing the music. He was an absolute gem on this record. Absolute gem. I have this on CD somewhere, but I don't care. I had the CD at one point, too. Uh, This was like uh, community college music for me. Grunge. Height of grunge. And this was my breath of fresh air tape or cd usually my desk man um yeah live albums i think when we had our live album podcast you mentioned this and i was like or something one of them and i was like a word um which might have been our first conversation ever that wasn't an online chat so yeah live albums uh or you know comedy albums often were live in this era, again, because comedy was a live medium, except for sketch shows and movies. And so the com- the art, as said this at the top of this, the art of the comedy album is a little bit lost now. 
There are great ones still. It, no, it's not a little bit lost. It's wholly lost. It's now about comedy do, specials. Do you like Bo Burnham? Do you know who he is? I guess not. It would immediately ring a bell. He's a current guy. And he had a number one album in America this year with a comedy album. I was only mildly aware of this guy. He's pretty funny, but I the wouldn't name like sounds really familiar. stop what I'm doing to watch him. And I mean, he I does, know every metal dude says that, but... He does voices, and he's silly, and he's been in a bunch of things. But, like, he does. He has also done some music stuff, so, like, I think that's why people gravitated to him. He's, like, a big YouTuber. Uh, he's got a big presence on the interwebs and the socials, so I think that's kind of... It's kind of like the Dane Cook effect 15 years later. It was that, like, five minutes where Dane Cook was, like, dominating the whole world as a dude. And then everybody was like, oh, but he's just only a little funny. So, uh, I Googled this dude. No, I got no clue. Yeah, it's okay. He's also very nondescript looking. He, um, looks, he looks like a Swedish hockey player. Oh, I was going to say, it looks like he should be selling me a taquito at 7-Eleven. Yeah, Swedish hockey rich player. Rich and famous. All right, oh. Same fucking thing. Okay. Yeah, no idea. Sorry. No worries. I do love taquitos. Um, let's also just take this opportunity, since you brought it up about Drury Lane. Watching the Beatles Get Back special on Disney, I again re remembered that, like, yeah, there was a period of time where regions of the world had different albums, and we've you've often bemoaned about Japan getting the extra tracks and things, but, like... Still hate that. The Beatles and Stones put out so many records in a short span of time in the 60s and early 70s, and they were all different depending on where you were in the world. And uh, if you're a completist, it's wonderful. If you were like, only, you know, like people didn't travel as much, you didn't get records imported that much in the 60s and 70s. It's much more of a recent thing in the last 30 or 40 years. So like, you know, just keep in mind that like, we put out uh, a live album for America done in America because we just did one in England and we're not going to put the England one out in America because they wouldn't like it, even though it's the same shit. It, just it, letting everybody know that rationale. Something just occurred to me, and I don't know if it's relevant, but I'm going to say it because I'm that self-important. Um, I feel like it should be mentioned that the entire recording industry has existed for about half the time is this country. So in terms of modern era, that's a pretty significant time. And only for the past, what, 15 years, 10 years maybe, has the globalization of the recording industry occurred? Mm. Maybe even five? You know, the, digital, the digitization of everything? And so for, what, 80, 85% of the entire time of recorded music, for 50% of the entire time of recorded music, you couldn't get the same records in California as you could in St. Louis, as you could in New York, much less London and San Francisco. Very true. That was the thing, like people had, uh, like if your friend had a bunch of interesting and different records than you, it was a thing to go to their house and sit in their parlor room and have tea and biscuits and little cubby cakes and things and listen to their records because they were going to be a collection of records radically different than yours, not even depending on taste, just on what was available to them. 
That's actually probably still the same now because considering most of the music I buy, they're they're sold in batches of five hundred worldwide. Yeah. You know, if you if you go to somebody's, you know, I have I've purchased I think ninety records on Bandcamp. So if you come to my house and look at my albums, you're going to get to a very different level of music than anybody else's house. So it's kind of a similar thing still. That's still there, which I think is cool. Hail Bandcamp. Oh, um, fuck. Fuck. Bandcamp, Discogs, that's like all you need in this world. Pretty much. Um, not a fan of the big shipping costs with Discogs, but, you know. It all depends on the person. No, uh, it depends. Um... Shall we, without further ado, run through this track listing? Yes, I think it's worth noting before we get too deep into this that they used material on this live album from before Monty Python and after Monty Python. So, yes. like the the four Yorkshire. Well, well, we'll go. We'll get to it as we get onto it. It starts off with introduction and the llama, which. There is nothing better in this world than that sketch. That sketch is pure, unadulterated, surrealist, awesome comedy. And the fact they did it in Spanish, it's all, this is also the first instance on this album where you hear the faulty mics. John Cleese screams, Cuidado, Ayamas, and it distorts. Distorts mm. like you're screaming into a tape recorder in 1975 so it, it, it is what it is uh but that sketch is still one of my apps it's, it's an absolute gem of a sketch i don't know uh, uh, i could say i don't know how you come up with that but then we go into gumby flower arranging which frankly the gumbies are great visually speaking but when it translates to the audio format you lose mm. I know that people don't get that they were not referencing the Claymation Gumby cartoon. A Gumby, it's kind of a piece of vernacular they put into the lexicon there to get fancy on you words. But a Gumby is basically like... Well, if we're going to discuss nomenclature and the etymology, please go ahead. Yeah, Gumby for them was kind of like a dumbass or a dunce or Beavis... You know, a boomhauer, just kind of a nonce for you guys mm. out there. A bellend for all my No, friends. no, bellend is different. Yes, I know, but I'm okay. just saying a dick. Do you? Okay. A you, dummy, okay, you do know. A Look, jerk. Okay, okay. I don't care. Half of my staff is from the UK, man. Like, you know, Ghost Cult Magazine is worldwide, son. Um, <laughs> Wu Tang. Wu Tang. The saga continues. So Gumby flower arranging is literally like an idiot flower arranger. Like Gumby was their catch-all in front of things to give you a mental picture before you heard the sketch or saw the sketch. Like this is going to be a dumbass doing something. Just to set it up. I know it's a long way to go for an explanation, but it's TV style is what we do here. You and Short... I are both wordy. We are verbose mother... Uh, Short blues... Is next pretty good, not great, I think. No, I? no, it is amazing. You think it's amazing? Okay. It it's it has the line, I have suffered so long for my music. Yeah. And now it's your turn. Yes, that's fair. And then he plays this harmonica solo, which hurts. 
It is so badly played and so like out of key that it makes you cringe. It makes your chest like contract and contort. It mm, is not a fan. Maybe it's like Zoidberg on Futurama. You're supposed to hate him, and they mm. did too good a job. Costanza. That's why I could never watch Seinfeld. Um, and Neil Innes. And, and also, I wrote a song on the way here from the curtain. <laughs> right. Right. I, if, I, I, I feel like... Uh, if that but, is not the... If that is not the, the inspiration for, what was it, Blind Melon Chitlin on In Living Color... Blind, I mean, all of the stage banter. No, wait, no. Blind Melon Chitlin. That was at Kids in the Hall. Okay. That was Mark McKinney. Uh, no, I don't remember the character, the David Allen Greer's character. I don't remember his name. Wrote a song about it? Like to hit. Here it goes. Here it goes. That's it. And he would write it. He had like these 7,000 two-word songs. And that was, that was Short Blues. That's it. I was going to also say Short Blues is, I will say, some of the banter here is like very eerily reminiscent of all of Michael. Again, I just saw Opeth. So all of Michael Ackerfeld's deadpan delivery in between songs is perhaps derived from the Pythons. We'll find out someday. I'll ask you the next time. I'll talk uh, when I, the one time I saw Opeth, he comes out and he goes, yes, we are Opeth. Yes, you should be impressed. And I went, I don't know you, but I love you now. Yeah. And then it was Sounds of the Underground, so he had 30 minutes. I think he played a song and a half. Yeah, basically. I mean, it was Opeth. Right. Um, so then we go into wrestling. This is where, to me, it starts to pick up. Now, wrestling was also never on a Monty Python sketch show. This was later. Uh, you have, And this is where we get to the genius of Monty Python. Where was Colin Bomber Harris from? I don't know. Somewhere in Cuba. I forget. A city in Cuba. Okay, yeah. So we get to these kind of ridiculous things where at the time we're knee deep, well, probably I guess more like waist deep, maybe even nipple deep into the Cold War. We're not too far out from the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Colin Bomber Harris, who is wrestling Colin Bomber Harris, is from Cuba. Mm. And then it goes into this, so he's wrestling himself in the semifinal of the champ to, to win the tournament. And then they go through the Irish whip, the licorice whip, you know, all these whips, you know, they're, they're doing this really, really well done. It's as though, it's as though as uh, the guy from Ted Lasso was uh, commenting, commentating on a, on a wrestling match. Um, The guy, God, I forget his name. The, the English soccer announcer, you know what I'm talking about? The one who sounds like uh, Al McPherson farting into Miles Davis's trumpet, according to Ted Lasso. Uh, God, it's going to drive me nuts. I'm going to remember this tomorrow, and I'm going to record a little tagline at the end of this. But you know, it's 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 very subdued, the very English proper uh, commentating, and it's it's hysterical. And it talks about how he's cheating, he's biting his foot, he's catching himself by surprise. And so he ends up winning the match and he has to face himself in the final. So, okay. I mean, Classic I stuff. yeah. It, then we get into world forum, which we have, we've discussed in the past world forum. If you, if you hate communism, just listen to this sketch. 
you look you can still hate it afterwards but just really this will help you a lot um then we get into albatross which this is the second uh track about an albatross we have discussed mm. this one's well, a al- lot shorter kind of albatross albatry albatrosses are inherently funny i don't think it was funny in rhyme of the ancient mariner no um but it's funny here mm-hmm. it is funny here nudge mm. nudge you know what there is nothing i can say about nudge nudge that there's everything that needs to be said about that sketch has been said okay crunchy frog crunchy frog oh is one god of the crunchy frog now i, I want to point out a little bit of, I, i'll let you talk in a minute i'm sorry i'm excited well, no you had a, i think you had a story ready right i do have a story ready this is a great example of the live sketches they they made a lot of changes during the live shows because in one of the first live in one of the first tours they did of america they come out on stage and the crowd goes yeah then they start the sketches and the entire crowd is silent for the rest of the show they get off stage and they go what the fuck? did they hate us and then one of the roadies is like no they were reciting every word with you the entire time you were doing it they treat the americans treated it like led zeppelin like pink floyd coming to town these are the songs these we know these things so we're so what they started doing was changing shit up. One, to crack up each other, and two, to surprise the audience. So Let's make it different, yeah. On the Monty Python Flying Circus version of this sketch, uh, I probably shouldn't have already had this lined up, but I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, in the sketch, it was John Cleese playing uh, Inspector Praline of the Hygiene Squad with Graham Chapman playing Superintendent Parrot. Okay. In this version, I don't remember... Now, Graham Chapman plays the John Cleese role, and I don't recall if they ever said his name. And Terry Gilliam plays the Graham Chapman role, except he is now named Colonel Clitoris. Mm-hmm. Terry Jones reprising his role. And at one point in time, Terry Gilliam throws up into his hat, which was beef stew, cold beef stew, like canned beef stew. When one of the times he's running off stage, he puts beef stew in his mouth and pukes the beef stew into his hat and then has to put it on his head. So this is one of the most ludicrous sketches of all time. And I, absolutely love it if you've got go ahead uh, i will i've got nothing it's perfect um it's better visually than audio but like if you but yeah it's this is pretty great it's important to mention that you're supposed to have seen the video yeah but not you know some people haven't or won't um agreed but when they recorded this you were supposed you were supposed to already be familiar with the source material Uh, Let me get into the Bruce's song, which, oh, Lord. Uh, Emmanuel Kant was a real pissant. Very Mm. rarely stable. Digger, Um, rad, digger, rosa, boozy, bag, thank you under the table. 
And basically, it's the idea of these philosophers being absolute drunkards. Which they basically were. Um, I love me. Yeah, Hegel is represented, Schopenhauer. I'm I'm a big personal fan of philosophy and philosophers. I highly recommend the companion to this would be the Eastern versus the Western philosophers of the epic rap battles of history. This is another one of the examples where Monty Python shows you how smart they are. You know, when you go to the communist quiz Mm -hmm. and when you get into this kind of thing, it is extraordinarily intelligent comedy. So that's a big part of why I dig it. That it is. Uh, Then it moves into the travel agent sketch. So on... The original version of the sketch, Carol Cleveland says, are you here to book holiday or do you want to come upstairs? Mm. On this version, she says, are you here to book a holiday or would you like a blowjob? So apparently she made that change on the fly in order to break up the boys. Mm. So that was one of the things they would do during their shows was they would change the words to make them... Because, you know, standards and practices on television are not the same as standards and practices on stage. Right. So they would change up their words in order to break each other up, to break up the monotony, and that was what she did. Then this has the, you know... this. I was originally, when I was thinking about your nickname for this week, you were very nearly beefy Bacchus, but your well, name I'm starts... both those things. But your name starts with a K, not a C, so it didn't work. So that's why we didn't do that. Uh, this famously has the character uh, smoke too much, who can't say the letter C because he was attacked by a bat. A bat, no, a cat. A cat, no, a bat. So they they get onto that. And that that's the whole that that's part of the joke, and then it goes through this whole thing about how he hates going on travel holidays, package tours, and then but he still goes on them like every weekend it seems like, and then this has an exceptionally long version uh, rendition of it where they keep trying to pull him off stage and he keeps going, and it's just it's comedy gold because Eric Idle can do this without missing a beat. Had there been a single breakup, a single pause, an errant pause, the entire joke would have been ruined. Hmm. Thoughts? No, none. Um, it's again another another banger, and uh, yeah, these are all pretty flawless. Like I said, I think it starts a little slow for me, but then it really picks up ahead of steam. These are just one after another after another. Great sketches. Uh, that finishes off side one. We get to side two, where we talk about uh, camp judges, which we've talked about before, so we'll skip that one. Blackmail. Uh, oh, God. Blackmail is hilarious. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Uh, yes, it is. Um, Your brain is not really ready for it. I don't know if this is uh, the version or it's a different one because there's multiple live versions of this sketch that I've heard. But 
He's like, no, no, no. We don't morally censure here. We just want the money. See you tonight, Dad. Mm, I think it's the other. I think you're thinking of is that Drury Lane. Okay. Drury Lane. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is pretty great. I I don't know. Okay, we can move on because that one okay. gets uh, protest song. Help me out. I don't remember that one. Protest song is kind of mocking, like uh, civil unrest and protesters and flower power and again the unrest of the seventies and uh, the whole world, the buck against conservatism as a power movement in, in the world, and these guys were arch political fiends and they would skewer anybody and any and is there themselves. anything they didn't hate uh well comedy no i think they hated that too so they skewered the crap out of it that's fair okay this is the same this is the same group of people that wrote an entire half hour episode where this the, the final joke was one joke in a half hour which was oh my wife make blood manjas all the time you should have called us first. Right. And that was the joke for 30 minutes. So no, they would they would even skewer the idea of comedy. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, moving on to Pet Shop, a.k.a. The Parrot Sketch. Mm. Uh, Definitely a top 20 in their career, you know? If you had to, if you had to, like, rank them all, Pet, pet Shop or the Parrot Sketch are definitely, you know, top 10 to 15 ever. I'm sorry. I, I, Keefe wasn't ready to go, and I had to blow my nose. I didn't want to That's give okay. you the honker. People I did at work, last week, though. People, oh, people at work say bless you when they hear me blow my nose. It's that loud. I mean, legitimately that loud. The Parrot Sketch, to me, is the epitome of the Cleese Palin writing team. They were the first people to be able to take listicles, and just just draw them out. And there's not even a joke there. The joke is they can just keep doing it. So they use about 3,874 different ways of saying the parrot is dead. It's like, no, no, he's not dead. So that, that's the whole joke. Yeah. Which is hysterical. Indeed. This skit is based off of uh, a sketch from... How to Irritate People, which was uh, a pre a pre Python BBC special, where it was Cleese and Palin again, except Palin was a used car salesman. So the guy's trying to bring back the car, and everything he says is wrong with it. Is he's got an answer? No, oh, no, Squire, it's fine. You know, you want that. You don't want the brakes to go too quickly. That that's bad for the car, kind of thing. So they took it to an even more extreme example of. The parrot is fucking dead. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's pining. He's pining for the fjords. What? And, and I mean, that that's like the whole thing. And I, I think we can all understand, especially those of us who are in sales, yo, uh, know what assholes like yo are like. So uh, moving on. Now we get to The Four Yorkshiremen. The Four Yorkshiremen mm. was written by Cleese and Palin before Monty Python in, I believe, at last the 1948 show, which was a play on the idea of how slowly things in television get approved. Mm. And this is a 
hyper this is a sketch celebrating hyperbole in a way that giving it a sloppy messy anything could not so mm. you go on keepy you go on um yeah i mean it's a, another solid one um i don't think it's my favorite by oh, any stretch love, on these two al- on, this, on this album it's not one of my favorites but it's definitely one to rem- return to um yeah that's kind of all i have uh this sketch basically boils down to it's four yorkshiremen who now are in tuxedos smoking cigars drinking expensive wine talking about their their poverty growing up and they're trying to one-up each other and so eric idolins was right i had to get up at 10 o'clock at night half an hour before i went to bed drink a cup of sulfuric acid before going to the mill on paying the owner for permission to come to work then i had to work for 474 years and every night when i came home my mother and father would slash us in two dance about in our grave singing hallelujah that that was what he had to prove that he was poor Mm. and again reductum ad absurdum wonderful stuff then we get to the argument clinic which is quite possibly well, I mean, now that that is a dead business model because we have the internet. Mm. But uh, that is pretty great. It it is pretty great. But I mean, now it's although on the internet, argument just is just contradiction. It's not. Uh, it, mm. it, it is just the automatic gainsaying of anything the other person says. So, uh, moving on. I will. I will add that argument clinic was taught in one of my college classes. Very on, cool. uh, on comedy. Uh. I didn't take classes on comedy. I took classes on anime, which, nice. let me tell you, really helped me in my field of choice. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on, Death of Mary, Queen of Scots. Another good one. I love this one. It, it starts off with, you are Mary, Queen of Scots. Yes, I am. For like four minutes. She gets a thrashing. And then you hear, I think she's dead. No, I'm not. And then another like five minutes of that. And then they, we'll be back next week on BBC Three with <laughs> episode three of The Death of Mary, <laughs> the Queen Mary of Scots. And then it's adapted for radio by so-and-so <laughs> and Joe Frazier. Yeah, of course. Just ding, ding. Exactly. They they put that little tail on at the end to make a genius. If they hadn't put the Joe Frazier part, it's just stupid. Indeed, indeed. Very funny. Very funny. So it's that's a that's an enduring one. That's one that's kinda like their, you know, a stairway to heaven. It's gotta be in every set list, you know. That's one of those the, one of those things they did where they beat you down with the joke. It's not funny at first. It's funny the five hundredth time. Right, exactly, and the exactly. and mo- and most of the four ninety nine leading up to it, but definitely picks up steam. Not every joke works that way. Most jokes don't, but good that <sighs> some do. Well, and the one thing about Monty Python is half of their jokes work that way, mm. and half of them don't. But they always do that. It's kind of like the riff to "You Really Got Me" is one riff and a key change, and then we ran back to the other key change. That's it. Exactly. Um, no variation, but the simplicity of it is brilliant. Then we move on to one of the 
greatest sketches in the history of the medium, Salvation Fuzz. Indeed. The last two, this thing closes out like a freaking house on fire. The, uh, the whole second yeah. side is basically, it, it's, it's, it's just porn star pounding in terms of quality. Oh, he's poetic tonight, folks. It's all that NyQuil. Uh, yes, NyQuil. We'll get to NyQuil later. It's, it's, it's definitely porn star pounding. So, yeah, Salvation Fuzz, take us home. Salvation Fuzz, it's ridiculous. You know, it's, it's, it's basically a son comes home, finds a dead minister. So they call for the church police, and they do their investigation by praying to the gods. And the gods point out who did it. It was the father. And then he gets arrested. And But there's all the ridiculous stuff. And, and on the sketch, you don't hear the whole thing. On uh, matching tie and handkerchief, you hear... Cause we, it, the sketch on this one starts off with, Liberal rubbish! Klaus, what you want on your jugfish? But you don't hear the, the, the debate ahead of that. Where it's, what would you ask the people if you were Hitler? That was the question. How would you become our, our, our prime minister if you were Hitler? So, and then it just goes ridiculous. And I, again, it's just one of those things that it's so ridiculous, it has to be genius. Right on. Right on. And then we finish it off with... Monty Python's Rock and Roll All Night. Yeah, basically. The the Seek and Destroy of Monty Python Lumberjack song, which there are people who don't know Monty Python that know that song. I'll say that. Who sings it on the record? Um, Is it Idol? Yep. Yeah. Who sang it on the show? John. No. No? Palin. Oh, really? Okay. Palin could never sing it live. Well, you said that he had trouble. Because that's what he always said. By the time they got to the end, his voice was shot on the live show. So mm -hmm. that I didn't know. I, I probably mentioned this before. I can't remember what the fuck I said last week, much less two weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, Idol complained that he had to sing it in one of the books I read because... Palin would blow out his voice by the end of the live shows. And one of, but one of the great things about the Lumberjack song is you can put it at the end of anything. Because 90% of their sketches involve professions. Yeah. And then you can just have one of the guys walk out going, well, I never wanted to do this for a living. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's already linked into everything. Uh, this has been linked from... The Election Night Special, The Parrot Sketch, uh, A Barbershop, and now Salvation Fuzz. Hmm. There's probably more. Oh, going back to The Parrot Sketch, wanted to point out that... Did you catch the ending for this one? Um, it's the ending that I know. Was there something unusual about it? There's several the different endings to that Okay. Sketch. And You're more was, of the historian about this than I am. I, I had an obsession. And, oh, I see. And whenever I have an obsession, it becomes unforgivable and unforgettable. 
And in so when when Pipe, when uh, Cleese and Palin were on an episode of SNL in the late nineties, they did the parrot sketch. Mm. And when this was happening, I, I looked at my ex-wife. Sorry, sorry, I had an ex-wife, mm. and she and I said, I wonder what ending they're gonna do. So it ends. Palin looks deeply. I'm gonna turn the microphone and look deeply into Keefe's eyes, like Palin did, and he says. Do you want to come back to my place? And Cleese says, I thought you'd never ask. Mm. That was the ending. So that was the ending they did. There was also the ending where I've got a slug. Does it talk? Yes. Right, I'll have that one. <laughs> then there was the ending from the, the, the... There were at least three endings to that sketch. Okay. So. I, uh... I bow to your deference about these things. These, these I don't think you can words. bow to deference. Well, I I, uh, I beg to differ. I don't beg to differ. The opposite no. of beg to differ, I agree with you completely because I really only know the ending from it's either the show or this. So I only know the one. Okay, that you I know. can't. Okay, differ and deference are not the same thing. They're not. Um, of interesting note here on the wiki, it does mention that this album was played in its entirety and broadcast on the King Biscuit Flower Hour. No one is old enough to remember what the shit that is except me. And I was a little boy when it was a thing. And you're what, five years old? Four three, four I years mean, older than yeah. me? I'm gonna I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit the four six in uh fifteen <laughs> days. So. I know, I know. I know. Um let the good times roll. The King Biscuit Flower Hour was like in the pre-video time. It was like one of the few nationally syndicated radio shows that would play concerts in the whole country. You can every... find about 1,500 bootleg concerts on LP that are yeah. from the King Biscuit Flower yeah, Hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, videos, there's countless videos uh, of stuff. But it was, it was radio broadcasts of concerts. And so for this album to get played on a show that had the song remains the same and Motorhead Motorhead and Bruce Roger Springsteen Waters. live at the Garden and, and Pink Floyd uh and Roger Waters later and, and like so like this was a big deal that this comedy album got the same recognition as the greatest rock bands of the day and not just a comedy album but sketch comedy. Yeah, sketch comedy. As we've said before, there's a distinction. It's not just one dude or someone spouting puns and one-liners. It's actually, yeah, it's complicated. Sketch comedy's hard. I mean, think about it this way. We, we've all watched sketch in our lifetimes. We've all loved sketch. Could you imagine Sonny and Cher being, or Laugh-In being played on the radio? Or no, SNL. You need, the visual. you need the visuals. Or the state. Monty Python was able to overcome the lack of visual. Mm. I mean, could you, or even could you imagine any of those shows going on tour? Right. No. The only other mm -hmm. tour of sketch comedy I know of in my lifetime is Kids in the Hall. Right. Which I missed every fucking time. Thank you very much for bringing it up, me. Mm, damn you, me. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, this is prime stuff, man. This is really primo era 
they could do almost no wrong. Like I said, there's always going to be some questionable stuff in this era from people. Well, we're but... and we're going to get to the fun controversy next week mm. when we get to a little bit more interesting stuff. I think we went a little bit long this week, so well. But you know what? It deserves every fucking minute I can give it. So fair enough. Oh, um, yeah, we're going to wrap it up next week. And then I think we're going to do a couple of fun ones to end the year before we start another series. Yeah, because this episode sure. will hit on, let's see, the, the 16th. Seventh, six, and then uh, the next one will hit the Christmas 17th. Eve. We will do a New Year's Eve episode where we uh, pick a decade. 70s, 80s, or 90s. Mm-hmm. We'll pick best hard rock metal. We'll find a, we'll find a listicles. Of best album of the best albums of the decade, word, and then we'll go over that. All right, but right I now like that plan. is all. That's all I have for this week. All right, man, take take it on home. Bring it well, on home, Dad. Thank you very much, Keepy, for joining me, as always, and thank you everybody for listening. This is the Glacier Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria. <laughs>